Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Bleed Los Podcast. This week's podcast is presented by our partners at Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and all of your favorite Vegas and casino, uh, Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to their website today, which is betonline.ag, or use your mobile device, go to whatever app store, or Google Play, and uh, look up Bet Online, and it's super easy to join. If you use our promo code Believe, which is B L E A V, you will receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, our promo code is Believe, which is B L E A V, and you will receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Stopping by the Carnasada this week is Alana Rizzo. Alana Rizzo was a part of the Los Angeles Dodgers broadcast team on Sportsnet LA, obviously the home network for the Dodgers, and she left and recently rejoined MLB Network uh, as a contributor with uh, with uh, the mad dog Chris Russo on High Heat. Super stoked to have her stop by. We talk all things Jaime Harin, all things Dodgers, and so much more, everything with their foundation. It was a great conversation. So without further ado, I'll shut up now so you can listen to our conversation with Alana Rizzo. This is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers. And now, it's time for the Bleed Los Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan. And Alicia Del Valle. With the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. And joining us on the Carne Asada is MLB Network contributor Alana Rizzo, old friend uh, to Dodger fans, actually, former Spectrum Sportsnet LA uh, star. So, Alana, thank you for joining us. Oh, my gosh. It's so good to be with you guys. And I would love some carne asada right now, actually. So <laughs> if there's a way that we could arrange that, uh, I'm all in. You know, we, we had Jose Mota on the show, and that's the thing that he – that's the first thing he said, too. So, yeah. apparently, we got to find a way to feed everybody uh, as they come on the show. But – some carne asada uh, before we get on and start talking. That would be amazing. <laughs> well, the reason why we call it carne asada is this is going to be very relaxed. We're just sitting around. We're going to talk baseball. We're going to talk all kinds of topics. This is very informal. So you're, you're in good hands. Good. I like it. I like that. Well, first of all, we ha- we have to start with something because Babyface, that's what we call our producer, is completely perplexed by the concept of an NFT. And instead of me trying again to try to explain to him what it is, I'm going to let you do it because you have an NFT. Well, let me tell you something. I am certainly not the expert when it comes to any sort of cryptocurrency, any sort of NFT, which stands for non-fungible token. Um, I am not the expert on it, but I'm working with a band by the name of James and he presented it to me. And basically um, there's this whole cryptocurrency now. We've heard, of course, about Bitcoin and those types of things. And the idea is to be able to have a collection of these non-fungible tokens, NFTs, to use as a collector's item. So we're going to do a series of, of different NFTs throughout our collection that all benefit Gidry's Guardian Foundation. And that's my foundation that I started in July of 2019 to help um, dogs get off the streets and out of high kill shelters, primarily in Southern California, because that's where I was living, of course, when I started Gidry's Guardian Foundation. So James presented an opportunity to be able to create an NFT um, that would benefit 55% of the profits from the sale of this NFT 
will go to Guidry's Guardian Foundation. And we hope that it's successful enough and we get a community of people that are involved enough and excited enough about it to be able to release, you know, two or three other NFTs in a series, a collection. So oftentimes, you know, people that used to collect back in our day, I mean, I'm much older than you guys, I'm sure, but back, you know, like people that would collect uh, gold coins or just, you know, different things. I mean, think about the people that collect pins from every single um, ballpark they go to. Or I had, a, I had a young lady from Canada that wanted the, you know, the Jackie Robinson 75th anniversary pin because she couldn't find that. So think of it like that, but it's something that is non-tangible, meaning you can't actually feel it. It's not, it's not a pen. Like you can't, you know, feel it. So you have in this virtual you know, everything is virtual now, right? So in this virtual bank, per se, for lack of a better term. And our launch, we hope to have the launch um, be in the middle of June, perhaps around June 17th. And that'll be the first one. We're looking to have 3,333 pieces, so 3,333 pieces of this first non-fungible token. And we had we opened it up to our fans, our fan base, and primarily Dodger fans, of course, because that's where I was for seven years. So thankfully, for that position that I had, I was able to have this platform to talk about Guidry's Guardian Foundation. And we're hoping that Dodger fans and, you know, any fan, any baseball fan or anybody that's a fan of Saving Dogs um, participates in this first um, release of our first token. And then as it goes on, we hope to be able to release other tokens in the series and in this collection. And the biggest thing with all this NFT is, is being able to uh, join our Discord. And what that is is basically like a community virtual meeting place where we can all have a forum and talk about um, not only the NFTs, but also, you know, dogs in need, um, not only in Los Angeles, but all over the country, because unfortunately it's a national epidemic of people just dumping their dogs and there's more dogs um, that need homes than there's actually a supply for. And I know in LA right now, there's massive, massive issues with, you know, dogs being killed at the Riverside shelter. Um, you know, Carson's always really rough. Um, there's a, you know, DeVore, Big Bear, that area. There's a lot of, a lot of overcrowded shelters. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Um, we have a, a sponsor that we're working with that is giving each person that signs up on our discord and for this NFT promotion that if you put a $50 deposit on the, um, your account, basically, you get $25 in return. So basically, you're getting a free $25 to be able to kind of participate in this thing. And again, this is all for, um, you know, Guidry's Guardian Foundation didn't have to put anything up for this. We are a not for profit. I do not make a salary on Guidry's Guardian Foundation. None of this is, is money in our in my pocket. Um, James is the one that has launched this, came came with the idea, is putting all the money up front to do this. Uh, he's the one that hired the artist um, that created the, that logo behind me, not Vince Scully, but that logo, there's one. <laughs> okay, this logo is Guidry, and that is the logo for the foundation. But Anna is our artist for this NFT, and she created what we call Furry Guidry. And we had our fans vote whether they wanted 1980s Guidry, or furry Gidry and for, furry Gidry won out. So that logo will be the first NFT that we're doing. So it's just, you know, it's it's really out of my purview as well. I'm not very knowledgeable about it. But thank God I don't have to be because James is. So FTX.us is the one giving the $25 um, promo to anyone that has $50 in their account. So, um, and you just join Discord and I can, I can post on, on how to do that too. So that's a very long answer to your very short question, but um, this whole world of NFT and, and cryptocurrency is very new to me as well. But if it benefits animals, I'm, I'm in. That's great. I, I was going to mention the design. I know you said that this is the first in what will hopefully be a series. Does that mean that the 1980s Gidry may see the light of day in the series? Maybe, maybe one. I think what's going to happen is uh, Anna, our artist, is uh, tremendously talented, of course. And I think she's going to start adding some accessories um, to Furry Gidry. So you may see Furry Gidry with a baseball hat. You may see Furry Gidry with a... Uh, you know, a um, not a baseball because that can hurt their teeth, but a uh, you know a, a rubber ball or something uh, that's that's good for dogs. So he might be getting some sunglasses. I'm not exactly sure what direction we're going in, but each 
each coin in the series is going to have a little bit of a different flavor for Gidry um, as he moves throughout the process. And again, 55% um, of all of this goes to Gidry's Guardian Foundation. And um, what we hope that it, has, that it becomes is a collector's item. Obviously, NFTs, um, cryptocurrency, it's like money, right? So it could, you know, like gold, it, it rises in value, it, it can decrease in value. So we're hoping that you know, for these collectors that they, they keep them and, and eventually, um, you know, it's, it's, it's worth something for the buyer, but of course, you know, to, to help animals in need is, is our, is our immediate goal. And is there still plans to do something uh, all-star game week uh, yes. regarding this? Yes. We're not certain yet if it's going to be the Friday before the all-star game or the Sunday before the all-star game. So either July 15th or July 17th, we're still trying to figure out a location because James is trying to get a location where people can bring their dogs. Uh, so like an outdoor patio uh, there in Los Angeles, but I am flying to Los Angeles for the event um, as well as the all-star game, of course, but it just kind of worked out that it's a month after our launch. And, um, just basically to meet people that are in this, you know, in this NFT community, people that are Dodger fans, baseball fans, um, fans of rescue, um, you know, that type of thing. So it's a very casual, we talked about carne asada being a very casual um, thing here. Well, this mixer is going to be casual, but it's a way for us to say thank you. It's a way to kind of put, you know, names to faces and, and kind of just talk about the foundation and, and the whole NFT world. So hopefully um, we'll have more information on that soon. It'll either be the 15th or the 17th of July. Fantastic. Joining us on the Carne Asada, Alana Rizzo, MLB Network contributor, and of course, friend of the Dodgers. Uh, I think a lot of people still will always associate you with the Dodgers, Alana. Uh, Alicia, go ahead. Hi. Hi. Um, first of all, it's wonderful what you're doing, Alana. You've always been so good to Dodger fans, your Dodger family, and to dogs. And this NFT thing, how brilliant is that? I, I'm still learning about NFTs and the whole Discord and all that. So speaking with you, I now know more. So thank you. <laughs> I'm learning, I'm learning. We're, all, we're all kind of learning together. It's new to me, too, for sure. Yeah. And so... Okay, A, what a great concept. And B, I can't wait. I know I'm definitely going to try to get in on one of these. And I love that you mentioned collecting items and stuff like that. I also love, I, I know you worked, or rather, George Lopez is one of your supporters. He has donated to Gidry's, right? And he himself has some NFTs. So I love to see more women, and especially women of color, get into this. So when they approached you to do this NFT thing, was were you hesitant at all? I mean... I know you said you're still learning about this process or were you already hearing about NFTs and crypto and all that stuff? Because yeah, it is around us everywhere. It is. And I've, I've heard, you know, I've been hearing about it for years, but I'm, I'm just not that savvy when it, I'm always like 10 years behind the curve. Like right. I'm, I'm always late <laughs> to the party on everything. Um, everyone's like, oh, there's this movie called Titanic, you know, oh, should I, you know, that type of thing. So, <laughs> Anyway, um, I had heard about it for a really long time. And then when James approached me about it, I was hesitant only because I just don't know anything. But my hesitancy really stemmed from, okay, listen, we're a not-for-profit. I don't have a staff. It's just me. You know, the whole point of this is to raise money for dogs. So anything that comes out of the Gidry's Guardian Foundation bank, uh, for lack of a better term, I need it to go towards the assistance for dogs. So I made it very clear that like, we just don't have that sort of budget. And, and James was very clear that, you know, he was the one that was really putting um, all of the effort into this. And, and we were lucky enough to be the beneficiary, beneficiary of it. So, you know, of course, legal has to get involved. And, you know, we had attorneys take a look at the contract and stuff. But yeah, my hesitancy was more of like, A, I don't know what you're talking about. And B, <laughs> needed to make sure that, you know, Gidry's wasn't liable for anything financially because we, we don't, we're not a huge foundation. It, like, like I said, it's, it's just me trying to fundraise. And um, this is just, an, for me, an outside of the box way of thinking about fundraising. There's so many ways. And, you know, every, every rescue, every foundation, every corporation is competing for the same dollar. And of course, with what is going on in the world today, you know, you're, you're limited in terms of like disposable income and disposable funds. And, you know, things are things are strange in our world and in our economy. So you kind of have to think um, non-traditional ways and, and outside the box ways of being able to to raise funds, because regardless of whether you're 
raising funds or not, the need is always there. And, and rescue never stops, regardless of what's going on in the world. And, you know, these animals will always need us. Um, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't on, on air here on this podcast, thank baseballism. Baseballism, this is a baseballism shirt that they created with me for Gidry's Guardian Foundation. So baseballism has this shirt and it's the Bow Wow line and every single proceeds, 10% um, of the proceeds from every shirt and there's four different designs go to Gidry's Guardian Foundation. And, and Travis, the CEO and founder of baseballism, um, you know, he's a baseball fan, obviously, or else he wouldn't have founded baseballism. Um, but he <laughs> me, uh, and said, hey, you know, we, we would like to do something and give back to the community. So there's just a lot of different ways as, as you know, the foundation that becomes more established that we hope to be able to um, think of different avenues of fundraising. I love it. I love it. Again, thank you for doing that. I, um, I try to help out as much as I can. And I got to say that this is the first time that I've heard of NFTs for fundraising. So bravo, lady, bravo. <laughs> and since we're talking, or you just mentioned your um, get together to thank the fans, will there be wine there? And will there be Scotland Cellar <laughs> wine there? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure about that only because if it's a public location, because uh, again, we're trying to get everything donated because we are a foundation. So um, if it's a public location, we're going to we're going to imbibe and participate in the food and drink at the location. If it's a <laughs> private, if it's a private center, if that's what we you know, if we decide to go that route, then there will be Scout and Cellar wine because <laughs> I'm also a Scout and Cellar rep, as are you a Scout and Cellar consultant. So um, <laughs> the details are still uh, remaining to be worked out, but um, we're looking forward to I'm just look, I always love Every time I land in LA, I feel like I'm home. So the fact that I get to go there for the All-Star game this year and the fact that, you know, I'm going for this, um, I'm so looking forward to being back in Los Angeles. I, I'm grateful that we finally get to host the All-Star game because obviously in 2020 we couldn't. So um, more details to come on that, but I, I cannot, I cannot wait. I can tell you there will be a lot of Scout and Cellar drink on Saturday because I'm doing a tasting in LA for Scout oh, and Cellar. At least, at least on Saturday, I know that will <laughs> <laughs> how fun how fun so you just added another party to all-star week i know we are very excited one myself baby face the, the podcast uh we hope to be there around there as well um so we'll see you and let's uh i'm gonna try to get one of your those t-shirts too very cool yeah, yeah you can baseballism. go to yeah you go to baseballism.com and uh check it out it's the bow wow line and i'm very proud to say that we're getting two new breeds um i think two two breeds that are um often misrepresented, misunderstood, and two breeds that are in shelters more than any other. So um, those are coming out. Baseballism has been very gracious to want to continue this charitable line of, of Bow Wow line, and um, they've been tremendous. And I'm also working with a company called The Mutt Dog, um, not on apparel, but a, a partnership um, where we can find other ways to be able to promote fostering and adopting um, all across the country in terms of rescue too. So the Mutt Dog is a is a for-profit company, but they have a philanthropic branch. Um, so we're getting ready to, to you know, Gidry's Guardian Foundation and the Mutt Dog are gonna be doing some more stuff together as well. Awesome. Since we're talking about the All-Star Game, I'm in Mexico right now. This is Mazatlan. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous, by the way. <laughs> I'm not nearly that nice. It's a, it's a disclaimer that uh, I was trying to show off the ocean, but I'm backlit and it's anywho. <laughs> I did not hear if the Dodgers have announced um, who, whom, which Dodger is going to attend the home run derby. The home run derby. Yeah, that hasn't been announced yet. None, okay. of, the, none of the teams have um, announced that yet. I'm not even certain the guys have been asked yet. So it's still a little too early in the who season. Who do you think? Well, for the Dodgers, I mean, there's a lot of people that could do it, right? Um, you know, right. And now, now there's, that, there's that incentive. The last couple of years, the winner wins a million dollars. So uh, if anybody wants to ask me, I I'd be happy to do it. Throw <laughs> a couple of meatballs right down the middle of the plate. I might have a shot of, uh, of hitting one out. Of, although with the, the dead balls this year, I'm not sure if I could even make it to a uh, make the it stop. But um, I don't know yet. I mean, there's a lot of guys, obviously, uh, in the league that can do it, um, you know. I, 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 we're, let's see, we're almost at the quarter pole. So we're almost at about 40 something games, 45 games or whatever until the quarter pole. So 
as it gets closer to, you're going to start seeing the ballots come out as far as the all-star game participants and the voting and the final five and all that soon. So, um, you know, obviously I think the Dodgers will be highly represented just because they're the host and um, they're, you know, they're one of the best records in baseball. So they definitely have some, you know, some people that can qualify to be in it. And it, again, it also depends on whether they want to participate too. So we'll see. Juan and I, we are always talking about how spoiled we are as Dodger fans. Well, we at least I spoiled. am. <laughs> we are very spoiled. We, we, we are very spoiled, right, Juan? That's right. We, we are talking with the pride of uh, Sierra High School. And now this is the second Hall of Famer that we've had on the show. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Alana is part of the Athletic Hall of Fame at Sierra High School. The other Hall of Famer that we had on the show was Jaime Harin. Oh, now, I couldn't even compete with that. That's not even fair. Hey, you are both Hall of Famers, but I, it leads me to this, Alana. Jaime is retiring. Yeah. You've been, you know, you're, you've been, you worked in that organization. Uh, I would love this man to get as many flowers as he can. Uh, because in every regards to me, his career is just as amazing as his counterpart, Vin Scully. Uh, the stuff that he covered outside of baseball alone, I think, would make him legendary. But what he's done for the game and especially that community, the Mexican-American community in Los Angeles. Did you have any experiences with Jaime? How often did you cross paths with him? All the time. I mean, first of all, he is he is more of a Hall of Fame person than he is a Hall of Fame broadcaster. The man is wonderful. And he his oh he his entire family. I mean, Jaime and and Jorge and you know Maggie and Blanca, God bless her when she was still with us, and and and, and all their kids, and they are such a wonderful, wonderful family. And Jaime was just so incredibly gracious. And I just saw him actually at the All-Star Game press conference where we honored him at the press conference because, you know, obviously it's his, his 64th and final year. Um, and what a man, what what an amazing story coming from Ecuador, I want to say at the age of 19 um, and, and not knowing anything about baseball. And to be able to create the life and the career that he has had and to be able to witness all of all of the World Series he's done, the no hitters, the perfect games. And, you know, Jaime and Vin are incredibly close. When when Blanca passed away, you know, Jaime was had thought about maybe hanging it up and he had a conversation with Vin and Vin was like, you need to keep working because that that will keep you going. And, you know, then unfortunately, when when Sandy Scully passed away, you know, Vin and Jaime spoke again, and it, it's it's just a it's just a very interesting relationship. I mean, imagine what those two have seen in their lives, and, and not only just the change in the world since they started broadcasting, but the change in, in in journalism and the change in reporting and how different the access is now. And you know, he's just a he's a wonderful person, and he means so much to the Spanish speaking community. And think about our fan base. I mean, think about how, and Jaime is from Ecuador, but think about how many people in our fan base are Spanish speaking, Mexican American, um, you know, and, and listening to Jaime. And that's the only way that they could get Dodger games. So to be able to listen to him and, and just see him be with the, I mean, he has outlived how many ownership groups, yeah. you know, yeah. how, many how many, you know, and he's just, He's just a class act, and I like that he's going out on his terms. And the Dodgers would have kept him there for another twenty years. Um, you know, it's it's his it's his terms. This is what he wants to do. I couldn't be a happier for him. I was. I'll never forget. You know, every time we went to Philadelphia, the Phillies played the or excuse me, the Dodgers went to Philadelphia to play the Phillies. He would always take us to his favorite Mexican restaurant there. Uh, in Philly. And, uh, you know, the man is a legend everywhere he goes. And, and he's he has taught so many people and, and provided so much guidance and, and tutelage to so many broadcasters, Spanish speaking and English speaking. You know, there's a lot of Spanish speaking broadcasters that didn't think they'd even have a job if it wasn't for Hyman. So it's, um, you know, the lives that he's touched and the difference that he's made, um, it's it's unquantifiable. He's an amazing human being. And, and, you know, he and Vin are as equally wonderful as you think they are. You know, whatever you think of, of Vin and Simon, that that's who they are. 
Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because, you, you know, you spent seven years covering the team, and I'm, I don't think there's a better poster child for professionalism than you. You do make that job look much easier than what it really is. Yes. And you can watch other people, and you'll see that it's you're very polished, and that's a tribute to your work ethic. But we had John Suhu on the show, the fabulous John Suhu. And, and we asked John, you know, we always hear, like, we hear it, we see it all the time. Everybody kills Dave Roberts. It's always Dave Roberts' fault. But John Suhu told us that when he goes out and if someone starts complaining to him, because he's very close with Dave Roberts, he tells him, I don't want to hear this. Go tell it to someone else. You are objective. Do you run across that sometimes when you're hanging outside circles and you hear people bad-mouthing not only players, but these people that you work with every day? Do you have that similar John Suhu attitude? Yeah, first of all, John Suhu is the best uh, in the business, period. Um, he, he's just – he's so – imagine the things that he's seen behind them. Yeah, yeah. And he is, the, he is the, the digital and visual storyteller of the team that we all love so much. So thank goodness for him. And thank goodness for him always being in the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, he's entering, what, his 200th season with the team. So, um, yeah, John's John's the best there is. But, yeah, what I think what people lose sight of, Juan, is the fact that, as Alicia was saying, it's like we don't realize how lucky we are to cover the team and to be a fan of a team that has gone to the World Series three times in the last, at this point, whatever it is, seven years or whatever it is, 17, 18, and 20. We don't, we take for granted, I think, how good this team is year in and year. And I do not want to hear the excuse one more time that this team spends money because there are teams that spend money that have not had the success that this team has had year in and year out. And by the way, this is a team that also has success every single year and does not completely deplete their farm system to have success. So I don't want to hear it anymore. And you can't tell me that they buy championships when there's other teams that spend just as much or more and haven't won. You have to, you have to play for each other to win a championship. I don't care how talented you are. You have to play for each other to win. So that, that irritates me, but I don't think people understand how lucky we are that this team has been so good for so long. So yes. Are they going to win 162 games a year? No. But I understand, you know, the frustration of like, why did he have them lay down a bunt? Why wasn't Craig Kimbrell on the mound? Why hasn't he pitched in five days? There is so much that goes on behind what it takes to be a good manager. I, I would I would ask you this, anybody that's listening. Name one manager that's out there right now. Active manager. Or even, even inactive, I don't care. That you would rather have than Dave Roberts. Because not only, not only does Dave manage a very good game, is he perfect? Obviously not. But not only does Dave manage a very good game, he gets it. He never, he, he is right where he's supposed to be in the community. He's always smiling. He's always doing everything he's supposed to do. He understands, just, I, I have to say that sometimes being the manager is your last priority and what it actually involves to be a manager. Everything that is on his plate Everything that's on the plate of all of these managers, sometimes managing the game is the last thing you're even thinking about. Dave Roberts is very good at his job. Andrew Friedman is phenomenal at his job. Think about what Andrew Friedman has been able to do and bring in and the signings at the deadline or the signings in the offseason or, or those types of things. I remember when we were flying, um, can't remember where we were going, but that's when we signed, we got you Darvish and all this. And I understand people want to blow up you Darvish for game seven, whatever. But the people that... Andrew Friedman has been able to get, and again, not blowing up the farm system is, is incredibly impressive. So yeah, you know, people want to complain, but that's also a fan's right to complain, right? I mean, the only reason that we have these games and, and the salaries that we have and this, that, and the other thing, in addition to TV rights, obviously, is because the fans are there and they're incredibly important to this game and they're incredibly important to the development and, and the longevity of this game. So they have that right to complain. And it, you're not a fan if, I mean, I, I'm glad I don't cover football because I'm a Denver Broncos fan. If I covered it, I probably would care. But I still have the right to yell at the TV when I'm watching <laughs> the Broncos game. You know, if I was covering them, it would be different. 
So I, I, it does, I, I do come across that, but I also have to tell people like, put it into perspective and no disrespect, but think if you were a fan of the, the Mariners, they haven't made the postseason since 2001. Ichiro Suzuki was a rookie. They haven't, they have the longest drought in the four major North American sports in the postseason. Imagine if you were one of their fans. Imagine if you were the Cubs before 2016, the Red Sox before 2004. You know, so just keep that in mind when you want to blow up Dave Roberts or somebody misses the cutoff man. I listen, and I get the whole thing. They make a gazillion dollars, blah, 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 but they're not robots. Like they are people, right. you know? So again, I'm very long winded. It's a very long answer to a very short question, but yes. <laughs> I, oh, I, it, it's okay. I'm sure Alicia has a follow up for you. Go ahead, Alicia. <laughs> yep. How did you know, Juan? Let's see. So I love that answer. You're absolutely right. I'm, I I get upset, but I never boo our own players, especially at our ballpark. And I am finding that these later years, there are a lot more fans booing, and I don't like it. And I know that response to me when I make that comment is, well, it's all right. We bought the ticket or whatnot. But we asked John Suhu the same thing. It's not effective. It doesn't help the team win, and especially at home. And so I just wanted to know what your thoughts on booing your own your own favorite team, your team, the players at our ballpark. Yeah, I don't like it. I mean, but, you know, it's, I don't like it. I think it's disrespectful. I think it's rude. What I don't understand is, like, why are you – okay, for example, Kenley Jansen is the one, for me, the most recently that people were constantly booing Kenley. Okay, he leads – the franchise in saves. <laughs> like, you know, right. it's people have, to, people have to realize that you have to constantly evolve as a player, particularly as a pitcher. Kenley, Clayton, anybody where they are right now, and, and as far as their age is concerned, and they're still babies to me because I'm 100 years old compared to them. <laughs> but, they have to learn how to adjust. They're not necessarily the flamethrowing guy. I mean, Clayton was never a flamethrower, but you know, they're not the the high velocity guys anymore, but they've adjusted to be able to, to pitch and still be effective and still get outs. Kenley has done nothing but everything that we've asked him to do. Same mm -hmm. with Clayton. Yes. And to boo Kenley to me is, is, is just ridiculous. Or to boo a guy that has been traded not his fault. It's or right. to oh. when he as a free agent went to Atlanta, it was a better fit. It was a better right. fit for the Dodgers and for Kenley. So right. yeah, I mean, again, it is a fan's right to do what they want. I don't understand it, but what I understand less than booing your own team at your home park is the stupid wave in baseball. Can we talk about that for a hot second? Just for a hot I, mean, I, I really don't understand the hatred towards the wave. I really don't. Okay, okay. But here's, my, here's my issue with it. If it's, again, I don't like it ever in baseball, but here's when I really hate it. It's a close game. Your pitcher's on the mound, and there's a wave going behind home plate. <laughs> like, how, how is that How is that effect? How is that helpful? Now, you have a good perspective here because yes. you were on the field. How noticeable is that to the pitcher? when they're seeing that go around the stadium well it's i mean especially okay it's it's i find it incredibly distracting if i'm on the mound 60 feet six inches and there's all this going on behind me i mean yes they're professional athletes they're supposed to block it out i just i don't know i just again i'm old i'm more of a baseball purist it annoys me to me it's fine in football i just baseball i don't know i just don't i don't like it and everyone says like i'm old lady yelling at clouds get off my <laughs> But I just, I just don't like it. And it's not just Dodger fans. Like it's every, every, don't tell me like, oh, Cardinals fans are better. No, they're not. They do it there too. So I don't want to hear it. Every fan base does it in baseball. And it, just, it drives me, it drives me bananas. I don't know. Maybe it's like a stupid like cross to die on. Like, but it's like, please stop doing the wave. Please stop doing the wave. I get it. I, I hear what you're saying and, and I get it. I, I don't like it when they're doing the wave when the Dodgers are losing or yeah. uh, unless it's kind of a rally. That, you know, they're kind of like disinterested at that point and, and I and I hear the argument a lot that's like well I brought my kids to the game my kids should be able to that okay I get it like I, I my problem is I can see both sides but like right 
some reason it just just drives me bananas. I don't I don't hate it. Don't do I it just, when we're losing and don't do it when it's a close game, especially if our pitcher's on the mound. Please. Please. I like that. Let's let's uh, make that happen. Let's get some rules up on the wall. Because <laughs> yeah. that's all we need in life is more rules. <laughs> it's a blowout or we're in like the 22nd inning and there's seven people in the stands, knock yourself out. Right, right. <laughs> well, speaking of people in the stands, we were just having this discussion. Um, Juan and I and Alonso, uh, we were asking, do the Dodgers need to be in stadiums with a lot of fans this came about because the Saturday win when they blew out the Pirates, and then the very next day they lost. And the question became, why? Dodgers shouldn't be losing to teams like the Pirates, right? And especially when the West is so good, the National League West is so good, we can't, the, the Dodgers need to win the games they should win. Okay, so I don't know, my, my thought was, well, maybe they need to be home, maybe they are used to, we're talking about the Dodgers, having so many fans and so much energy at all times. I mean, that's one of the first things Freddie Freeman mentioned when becoming a Los Angeles Dodger is how great the fans were, how loud they were, how surprised he was at the energy in the ballpark. So do you think the Dodgers just don't get up all the time for teams that are not great? Or No, I, don't, I mean, I don't think any team gets up 162 games. I think no disrespect to the Pirates, and maybe it was a trap series. Maybe they, maybe just things just didn't go their way. I mean, I think it's it's the long game, right? It's This is not a 17-game season like the NFL. It's the long game. You have to, as long as you, for the most part, win every single series, which I realize they did not against the Pirates, but if, if you win every series, you're, you're going to be fine. And yes, it, the NL West is incredibly competitive. I like the fact that there's actually, you know, three teams that are really in it. And, you know, up until two days ago, I haven't seen what the Rockies and Diamondbacks have done recently, but up until two days ago, every single team in the NL West was above 500. That's good right. for baseball. Competitive balance is good for baseball. I love that the Angels are playing well this year. I want to compete with the Astros in the AL West. I wish the Mariners were playing better. I thought the Mariners had a shot this year and they still do. Listen, we're not even to June yet, but you know, the Dodgers just didn't play well. They, they fell flat. And sometimes that's going to happen. As long as you, you don't fall flat too much, you're going to be fine. I mean, yes, you should beat the Pirates. Yes, you should beat the Reds. Yes, you should be, you know, teams that are really scuffling out of out of the gate. The Orioles, although they're playing, I think they've won six of their last eight or something like that. So, you know, these are still major league ball clubs. It's not like the Dodgers went in and they're playing, you know, Pittsburgh High School. I mean, it, it's still a major league. <laughs> realize it's not the same talent level. They just, you know, Pittsburgh is rebuilding right now. The Dodgers just reload. They don't rebuild, they reload. So, um, no, I mean, yes, of course, the fans are important, but I don't think the Dodgers would make any excuse that they have to have a full stadium in order to play well. I mean, they, that's just not they expect to win every game and they just they just fell short uh, in that series and give credit to Pittsburgh, because certainly if you look at it, nobody expected the Pirates um, other than the Pirates to no one expected them to beat the Dodgers two of three. Yeah. We, we're, we're speaking with former track and cross country star, uh, Alana Rizzo, uh, Alana, Alana, I'm sorry. I, I, I have a question here, and, and this goes back to your professionalism. Uh, we've had some players on on the show that are more comfortable speaking in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So you know, we try to do a bilingual interview, but sometimes we just get caught up in speaking in Spanish. Mm -hmm. One of the things I always appreciated about you when you were on the Dodgers was. When, for example, Yasiel Puig, you made that effort uh, to to speak in their native tongue, so they would be able to express themselves. Um, one, I, my first first comment is I I appreciate you making yourself so vulnerable in in, in trying that. I think that's something that's not talked about a lot. And then uh, my question to you was, is that something that you knew going in that that's what you were going to do? Is that a conversation that you had with Spectrum Sportsnet? Because there, there was a time over the playoffs when Pedro Martinez was having a conversation with El Tio on TBS in a post game, And they went, they spoke in Spanish for what felt like a good half hour. And I'm sure the producers and everyone behind the camera was like, what's going on? Because they had no subtitles. There was probably a large part of the audience who didn't understand what they were saying, sure. but you could tell Theo was very comfortable and he was, and he was talking. So for you going with that approach, was that something you had pre-planned? 
Well, I can tell you, first of all, thank you for that. It is the hardest thing I have to do in my job. And it's the one thing that gives me the most anxiety. And, and the reason it gives me so much anxiety is because I'm not a fluent native Spanish speaker. My mom is. My mom was born in Havana, Cuba. So her first language is Spanish. And she didn't come to the United States until she was 22. But I grew up in the United States and I can speak Spanish well, but not 100% fluently. And I think my, my biggest fear when I do the translation is that I'm going to offend a native Spanish speaker. And every single time I do an interview in Spanish, I get absolutely, I get some compliments, but I also get obliterated by people that speak Spanish fluently. And I understand that, but it is more important for me that the player is comfortable than I'm comfortable. I don't care if I'm, I don't like it. It makes me like, I, I do get anxiety, um, but it's more important for me that they can they can speak in a, in a native language where they can express themselves thoroughly versus just the few English phrases that they may know that they feel comfortable with, because that's not the full picture. And I think our job as reporters and journalists is to paint the full picture for, you know, to allow the subject to paint a full picture for him or her. So, um I do it for that reason, because I, I know that we're going to get more out of them if they do it. And it would be like if I went to Greece and I had to do an interview in Greek. Like, I, I, I can't imagine how intimidating that would be. So for these guys, especially if it's in the ballpark where they can hear themselves and they know everybody in the ballpark is listening to them. I think it's so much more important that they can speak uh, their native language. And it was a conversation. I mean, people knew I could speak Spanish coming in. And I think because L.A. is such a heavy Mexican-American, Latin American, Spanish speaking community. I mean, I think and, and obviously baseball is a global game. And I'm thankful that now and it's been really within just the last two or three years that we now finally in every single major league clubhouse, all 30 have a translator. So there's always been translators, interpreters for our Asian speaking players, which obviously there should be. But now we definitely have Juan Dorado is the one for the Dodgers. Um, and he also does a lot of other stuff for you know the public relations department. But I've worked with a lot of amazing interpreters and translators um, in all major league clubhouses. And that's so beneficial to these players because then they are represented in the right way. And um, I will continue to do it. And I always tell the player, I'm going to try to do this in Spanish. If you help me, if I get stuck, I will help you if you get stuck in English. Um, and I always give them the option. Do you want to do that? You want to try this in English? If you get stuck, we'll, we'll switch to Spanish. Or, you know, if you want to do it in Spanish, no problem. So it's just, a, I feel like it's an asset. You know, not a lot of people can do it. Um, it is very difficult to do. I don't, I don't, I'm not perfect with it, but I think it's better to do that and make the player feel comfortable than make them feel awful or have them worse, have them misrepresented. You know, it's interesting that you say that because a French Canadian immigrant, Eric Gagne, <laughs> told us that when he came, I, I did not know this. Like, did he did not speak English? When he came to the country and he gravitated to the Latin players Isn't that funny? in the locker room that he, he could relate to them. Yeah, that being it. said, I, I have to ask you this. I, I, every time I ask it to other people, I just don't think this is a black and white question. But did Yasiel Puig get a bad rap in L.A.? I think Yasiel is misunderstood. I mean, listen, Yasiel isn't somebody – he created a lot of the drama around him, but I don't think Yasiel Puig is a bad guy. I think this is a guy that, you know, came from a very, very different culture, and it wasn't mainstream Cuba either. I mean, he's not – we're not talking – he's from, you know, Cienfuegos. He's not from, you know, Havana or El Boyero, where my mom is from, which is right outside of Havana. He's from, like – the country, I guess, uh, uh, you know, um, he wasn't, it wasn't a huge metropolitan area. So he had a very different upbringing, uh, very different education system. You know, it's difficult for these guys that come over and are immediate superstars. You remember when he came up in June of 2013 and lit the world on fire. And then his first full season was 2000, 2014 was probably my most difficult clubhouse because there were a lot of different personalities and a lot of people that kind of wanted to be superstars. And this was before the new ownership group came over, the new front office came over, who I think. Um, was that the Clint Hurdle year? No, no. The, oh. uh, Don Mattingly was still oh, okay. uh, the Dodgers in 2014. So uh, Mattingly was still the manager, and it was it was an interesting dynamic. I mean, it was it was Yasiel, it was Hanley Ramirez, it was Matt Kemp, it was Juan Uribe. Those you know, 
some of the guys that were kind of, you know, kind of superstars. And then you, you still had the Claytons of the world and the Justin Turners and the Kenleys. And it was just a very interesting dynamic. Um, this was before we got Chris Taylor, obviously Max Muncy wasn't here yet. All, all of this stuff. So, um, you know, Kike wasn't here yet, uh, you know, on and on. So, it was just an interesting thing. And, and Yaxiel, I like him. I understand how difficult it must be to go from, you know, Cuba to the United States to try to learn all of the culture and all of the different things. Now, that being said, you know, everybody tried to help Yaxiel. And you can't you can't show up late to opening day. You can't do those things. And a lot of people put their time and investment in him. Um and, you know, and he, he chose to do his own thing and have a different path. He's not a bad guy. And there's, you know, there's a lot of people that don't do what he does in the community. He's very involved in the community with the Wild Horse Foundation. And, of course, where did he get the Wild Horse name? Vin Scully. Um, you know, I think Yasiel has a huge heart. I think he has good intentions. Sometimes I don't think his execution is great, but I don't think he's a bad person. And I hope, I mean, I think we're missing out on a huge talent. I think it sucks that his MLB career was so short-lived. Because I think he could have been incredibly, incredibly special if he would have just been able to kind of rein in everything else that, that was going on. Go ahead, Alicia. No, I was going to just follow up with that. I mean, to go to, to Yassiel's career, my mom was a huge Puig fan. She, he's the kind of player that would cause my mom to leave the room and come and see him bad or whatever. Like, he was so dynamic. And I was telling the guys... When Vince Scully gives you a nickname, you're special, right? So I really thought he was going to be in the league a lot longer and be a superstar and stuff. And it's, it's just sad. It's just sad. But I want to take that and stay with the, the Latino players. You, Urias. I'm a huge fan of Urias. And um, there's this dialogue. I don't know if you saw, um, well, if you were in Los Angeles or you read the LA Times, Dylan Hernandez, he wrote an article. He's also a guest on the Bleed Lose podcast. He's awesome. Mm -hmm. um he we we discussed how some people feel that uh he gets treated differently it's a different set of rules for say odias versus walker bueller do you subscribe to that do you do you believe that or do you see maybe it's just uh just misunderstood i don't know no i think i mean for example the only the only example i draw on for that is the postseason last year i think that you at that point, Julio had earned the right to start that game. Game and five. I I, game five. And I don't think that it's fair to ask him after he started all season long, he no longer had any sort of like um, handcuffs on pitch count or innings. He was healthy, this, that, and the other thing. Um, you would not have asked Bueller to do that. Exactly. You wouldn't have asked Bueller to come out. Now, Walker would have, mm -hmm. but you, I don't think you would have asked Walker to. Um, you know, and, and Julio, to his benefit or to his detriment, never complained, to my knowledge. Never publicly said. I mean, he his, his answer was always the same. I mean, this is what you want to hear, right? This is what you better hear. I'll, I'll do whatever the team needs. And that, you know, I just... I, I don't know that there's different rules. I just think that it's unfortunate that he was put in that position. And I don't know that other players, other pitchers rather, would have been put in that same position. I don't think you're going to ask Walker Bueller, um, who started all year. And, and Julio had 20 wins last year. It wasn't like Julio was struggling and they wanted him to come out of the bullpen. And, and the same could be said in years past before Kenta went to Minnesota the same could be said for Kenta. If I'm Kenta and I know I want to be a starter and all of a sudden come postseason, I'm coming out of the bullpen. I'm like, what, what the heck? But again, team game, right? Yeah. Game. Same could be said for Alex Wood. You know, when Alex was before Alex went to Cincinnati and then came back to the Dodgers, you know, the whole thing of like him coming out of the bullpen, Alex had said a thousand times he wanted to be a starter. He went to Cincinnati. He had terrible back issues, had a terrible year, came back to L.A., had a very good year and then now is obviously with the Giants and doing well there. So, you know, you do what is right. Dave Roberts has always said it's not about the parts. It's about the sum. And I do believe that the Dodgers. I will say this, talking with players from other teams that have played for the Dodgers and then have gone elsewhere or just guys that have been around the block. 
the Dodgers are one of the best teams at communication with their players. I will say that. So at least that's what's been relayed to me by guys that have played for other teams. So um, I'm not willing to say different roles for different guys, but I, I do think it's interesting that Julio was asked to do that when perhaps, you know, other, other pitchers um, wouldn't have been asked that. I just, I'm going to follow up with Dylan's um, explanation was, or reason why is a cultural that being Mexican, which by the way, I'm in Mazatlan and there are so many Dodger caps here. I yeah. love it. Every time I see a kid or an older man, or there's a bunch, I'm like, <laughs> anyway, you know, this is a uh, Urias country. Um, he was saying that Urias, the, the upbringing he had is very, it's very indicative of the Mexican, even Mexican Americans. Right. I was raised this way. You work hard. You keep your head down. You don't cause trouble. You don't ask for anything. You work hard and hope that your you know, bosses or your managers or the the um, the people in charge will reward you and will not punish you for working hard. So yeah. Dylan's ex explanation, I really I felt that like, OK, yeah, you, you know, he's not going to complain. He's not yeah. going to say no. Right. Yeah, I mean, they have, you, a part of being a manager is is managing personalities, right? I think one of the things about being a manager is that you have to be a psychologist as well. You're not just managing a lineup. You're not just managing before we have the universal DH. You're not just managing a double switch. You have to know how to manage and massage your personalities. And I and I can also say that perhaps you look at it a different way that Julio was rewarded. He did record the final out of the World Series to give the Dodgers. Yes. The <laughs> I know. <laughs> so there's that too. And yes, maybe he's a guy that you like think about like in your own family. Like you have, let's say you have three sisters, right? One sister is a pain in the ass. One sister never says anything. One sister's kind of in the middle, whatever. She's Switzerland, neither here nor there. <laughs> Parents are probably going to push the one um that doesn't complain about anything, give her the most garbage because she's just easy. It's not that they love you anymore or any less, you're just easier. Um, the one that, you know, is constantly complaining, you need to be a little bit more, you know, white glove treatment or, you know, kind of more eggshell, walk on eggshell type of thing. You know, it's like any family dynamic, you can have four kids from the exact same parents and you might have four kids that are completely different. Imagine managing a team of 26 kids and you're trying to figure out yeah. to, how to get the most out of all 26 of those guys. It's these players are not cookie cutter. We all come from right. different places, and, and so do they. So the way that you motivate Clayton Kershaw might be completely different than the way that you motivate Chris Taylor. You know, some some guys need rah-rah and attention and accolades and me, 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 and some guys don't want you to even talk to them. So, you know, that's just part, <laughs> that's just part of the job. And, you know, I think – um, I think they were all managed great. And if, you know, if, if Julio, maybe he, maybe it'll be a, a step in his development and his growth speaking up and maybe he has, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not privy right. to the conversations. I don't know. Yeah. No, I hear you. One. Yep. We have MLB network contributor, Alana Rizzo on the show for just a few more minutes. Uh, Alicia, you want to, uh, any last questions before we start wrapping things up? Yes. Okay. So, we miss you very much in Los Angeles covering the Dodgers, but I love, you know, bigger and bigger, bigger, your, the, the, your star's just getting brighter and brighter. <laughs> Anything you can tell us coming up that you're excited about uh, career-wise? First and foremost, um, there's nothing bigger to me uh, and better to me than LA. Uh, I oh. love, love, <laughs> my seven years there. I didn't leave because I was unhappy. I didn't leave because the, Dodger, the Dodgers treated me with nothing but class, respect, grace, professionalism. I love that organization. I always will. It was one of the best seven years I've ever had. Certainly the best seven years of my life uh, professionally. The uh, only Alana, I, I hate to interrupt, but were you hesitant to come to LA at first? I was. I So I only knew Los Angeles. Thanks for bringing that up, Juan. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know that this was true because you speak so glowingly about LA. I and I don't understand why anyone wouldn't like LA. Well, because if you come only as a visitor, it's a pain in the butt because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you're going. You don't know, you know, LA has this reputation that everybody is fake and false and, and plastic and, 
it's so wrong. I mean, yes, there is that element, but there, I can tell you there's that element all across the country. And I've lived, I've lived internationally. I lived in every single time zone in the US. So I can tell you that that is, if that's what you want, you will find that. But I only knew LA as a visitor, as, as a visiting team coming in. I was with the Rockies for five years. And imagine you're trying to go to the ballpark. You don't know where the heck you're going. You're going at the wrong time. Um, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know LA intimately. I didn't know the different cultures and all of the food and this, that, and the other thing. So I almost didn't come because I thought I wasn't going to like it. And I also wanted to make sure that like my dog was going to have grass to run. And the other, <laughs> and the other thing, Gidry, who the, the foundation is actually named after. So the first two years I lived in LA, I was in like in, in the city center and I was like kind of over by, um, you know, um, Cedar Sinai Hospital and Beverly Connection. It was so congested, and that's just not my game. Like everyone's angry and flipping you off because it's so crowded. And and then I moved <laughs> to the South Bay, and it was like, whoa, you know, this was, you know, this is great. And L.A. has just, I just, every time I land there, I feel like I'm home. And I'm from Colorado. I was born and raised in Colorado. Um, and while I love Colorado, if I could live anywhere, I'd live in Manhattan Beach. I'd live in L.A. So. Um, Yes, I almost didn't go there. I'm glad I didn't listen to myself. I'm glad I was wrong. Um, but to me, there's nothing better there. The only than L.A., you know, the only reason I left is because, you know, the Dodgers won the World Series in 2020. Um, I could have probably stayed there forever. But um, my fiance, his job changed and he has two little girls and they live on the East Coast. And I was like, at some point, you know, we weren't going to be able to see each other because he wasn't going to be traveling as much. And I'm like, at some point, I'm going to have to say goodbye. So and I and I and I agonized over it for months. And I had conversations with my former boss, Lon Rosen, who's the head of VP. You know, he's the VP of um, broadcasting and marketing. And I we talked about it and I was like, well, maybe I can do a condensed schedule and but I can't do anything halfway. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I just didn't think it was fair to the team. I didn't think it was fair because with baseball, it's an everyday beat. And you need to be immersed in it to really to really understand and to be one on one and have those conversations with the players and this, that and the other thing. So that's that's the only reason I left. But I love it. And every time I will always cheer for the Dodgers. You know, I'm on MLB Network now and everyone says I'm a homer and I get blown up on Twitter because all I care about is the Dodgers. Which <laughs> everybody. What the thing is, everybody at MLB Network has their own team. We all you know, we all grew up somewhere or we all worked for somebody and but I get blown up, but that's okay. You know, I, I love the Dodgers. I love LA. I love people. Um, so I'm excited to get back there for the all-star game. Well, before we end the show, the way we always end all of our shows, Alana, I do have one quick question. Uh, breaking news today about Kershaw's injury. Um, does this mean we're going to see the, the timelines of the Ryan Pepios, the Millers, is this going to speed it up or how are the Dodgers going to to manage this very thinning starting rotation right yeah, now? This is the first year, Juan, that I've really been worried about coming into the season, not just because Kershaw's on the IL now. It's the first year I've really worried about the pitching depth for the Dodgers. I mean, that's the one thing that the, we had too many. Not You can never have too many arms, but it's the one thing that we had you know, enough to get by and work through the schedule with off days and this, that, and the other thing. And, um, you know, Andrew Friedman's one of the best about optioning guys up and down like that, you know, that, that elevator between triple A and, and, and the big leagues, um, they know exactly how to work those options and, and be able to send guys up and down and all in the 10 day IL and all that stuff. So, um, you know, yeah, you might see some guys that, probably are getting to the big leagues a little sooner than they should. I had that conversation today on MLB network. I think a lot of guys are being rushed up here. I don't think, you know, the Dodgers don't necessarily have to do that, but there's a lot of guys being rushed that have had success in the minor leagues. They come to the big leagues. They'd never had failure in the minor leagues. Then they have failure at the big league level and they don't know how to handle it. So, um, you know, David Price hasn't really pitched a ton for us. I mean, that's that's an issue. You know, the amount of innings that he's pitched since he's come over. And, of course, he opted out because of COVID. I understand that, too. But, um, you know, and with the shortened spring training, you know, guys aren't going as deep yet in, into ball games. So, um, yeah, you might see some new faces. I mean, I know that they got Clevenger up from AAA because Kirsch went on the IL. I hope this SI joint inflammation isn't huge. You always worry, you know, when it comes to Kirsch. But, um they seem to always figure it out. This is a team that always, always figures it out. Well, now now we're going to end the show uh, the way we always end the show, but a real speed round. Uh, McMansions, are they still in your fight club? <laughs> 
You know what's in my fight club is the fact I can't buy one because I don't have any money. How does everybody in Manhattan Beach have a flipping six million dollar house? What do you do for a living? How do I get there? Yeah. You know what's thing is when they're banging their hammers and blasting their music at 8 a.m. when I get to bed at one because I've covered a baseball game. So yes, that's <laughs> do I want one? Of course. Can I have one? No. So until I can have one, which is never, they're annoying. Well, it's, it's great. It's good to see that your move to MLB Network has mellowed you out and that you don't have uh, strong opinions on anything like The Wave or McMansions. Yep, no, but, but anyways, Alana, we, we are not only about the Dodgers on this podcast, we're about L.A., but we're primarily about taco culture. Okay, We love our tacos, and I know you're a South Bay person, so we need to know where do you, what is your favorite taco and where do you go to get that taco? Okay. And I'm going to tell you this. So my favorite taco is anything made by my girl, Karina Martin. Okay. So Karina is a good friend of mine. Okay. She was my makeup artist at Spectrum, but she is a very good friend of mine and she makes the best authentic, both, both her parents are from Mexico. She was born in the United States, but she grew up in Inglewood. So every time I am in LA, I stay with her. And in fact, for the Super Bowl, we didn't go to the Super Bowl. We were at her house, like not that far from SoFi. And we had this amazing like taco spread with the whole thing. And um, it was amazing. So anytime I go, Karina makes authentic Mexican tacos. And now, now this one who's Cuban and Italian knows how to make them too. Because Karina came to visit me last year and we went to a, an authentic Latin market in Providence, Rhode Island. We got all the meat, the carne asada, todo. And then we came here and I made it with the queso fresco. We made homemade salsa. We did it all. So that, that is my favorite taco. It's made by Karina and Ramon Martin. Okay. So that so carne asada is your favorite taco then yes. made by Karina. Yes. So when we go That's stand outside her house, asking right? her, just put a little table outside. Un puesto, Karina. Do it. And by the way, she loves... Um, she loves like those those white claw things, and uh, so I got her as a thank you. I got I got her her backyard in Inglewood is fantastic. She has the whole setup. They have like an outdoor like an outdoor TV where we watch the Super Bowl. By the way, the whole Super Bowl halftime show. Oh my gosh, what a blast! Um, <laughs> and they have like I got her the whole setup with like this cooler that's like I tried to get a Dodger blue, but it was it's it's lighter than Pantone two nine four, unfortunately, but. She's got an amazing setup in Inglewood. I would stay there every time I'm in town. I love it. I, I love, 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 love authentic street tacos, and that's what she makes. Okay, are you wow. corn or flour? Uh, for those, I'm still flour. I know. Wow. I know. She's a I fan know. of the oppressor's tortilla. She oh, likes God. the oppressor's tortilla. <laughs> but we make the we make the tostadas with the corn ones. Okay. All right. So Good save. Both. Don't ask that badly, okay? Good save, good save. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. MLB Network contributor Alana Rizzo joining us on the show. Thank you, Alana. Where can we? Uh, where can our listeners follow you? I'm sure half of them are already following you, anyways. But where can some new person coming on to the podcast follow you? Appreciate you guys being with me. I miss you very much. Um, it, very, very basic. At Alana Rizzo, it's Alana with um, one L. Two N's and three A's. Alana Rizzo and then Gidry's Guardian Foundation uh, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And I appreciate it very much. Well, thanks for coming on, Alana. We really appreciate it. For those of you listening, we have a YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to it. The episode will show up on YouTube uh, next week. So at this time, I want to just thank everyone for listening. Subscribe. Write us a review because you never know who's going to stop by the condensada. We're out. <laughs> Bye, Alana. Bye, guys. Huge thanks to Alana Rizzo for stopping by the Carnasada. Go check out all the things that she's working on with their foundation and so much more. Great cause. I'm all about giving back to the dogs as well. So go do the damn thing. Check it out. Check it out. And uh, and again, huge thanks to Alana for the time and for stopping by. Great conversation. And a huge shout out to my co-hosts Juan and Alicia del Valle. Juan Ramirez and Alicia del Valle, I should say, uh, for holding it down while I was out on assignment. They are the real MVPs. This episode of the Bleed Los podcast was presented by our partners at Bet Online. They continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. 
it is super easy to get started. Head over to their website today, which is betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code, which is believe, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's that easy. They have all of the sports developments for everything. Baseball, major, uh, sorry, uh, NBA, NHL playoffs, fights. I love fights. Next season's features on the NFL. Everything, man. They have it all out there, and they even have your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. So, again, it's super easy to join. Go to their website. Use your phone. Use your iPad. Whatever that you're on. Use our promo code, which is Believe, B-L-E-A-V, and you will receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So on that note, we will wrap this up. Huge thanks to all of you for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, haven't followed any of us on the socials, please do. We'd love to interact with you. Always love to read the comments and check out the feedback. So please follow us, rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. And we'd love to to chop it up with you. But the upside to also doing those things is you never know when we may surprise you by reaching out to you and seeing if you want to go play a round of golf. Maybe go get some tacos. We have a lot of cool all-star game stuff that's incoming. So do all those things and you never know who might hit you up. But on that note, huge thanks to everyone. We'll catch you down the road and go Dodgers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.